0: The following Dharma talk was given by monastic Shon Ankele at Zen Mountain Monastery. Shon is a Dharma holder in the Mountains and Rivers Order. This talk, like all of our talks, is given free of charge. If you would like to make a donation or find out more about our various programs, visit us online at zmm.org. Thank you for listening. Good afternoon, everyone. So good to be with all of you today in this way. (laughs) Um, So, I want to just offer some some words and some reflections that will hopefully be helpful to you as we uh, continue in this session. I want to share with you a poem um, from the early 14th century by a um, woman um, seeker and mystic from Kashmir. You might have heard of her. Lala, Laldad, Shwari. she... Um, left home, uh, left a uh, uh, troubled marriage, or maybe her husband died. She was married very young, as was the custom at that time. And so um, once she was into her early 20s, she left and was a um, wandering seeker. And... um, Studied with a with a teacher in, in a Hindu sect that was um, uh, taught taught non duality. So, um, although her poems, she she uh, is known her 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 memory and her practice is preserved in um, a, a series of um, short poems um, that are uh, you know about her spiritual seeking. But um, she, she uses the language of the divine other. Um, but from within her tradition, as within ours, that's just a manner of speaking. When we speak about Buddha or Buddha mind and we think of it as something apart from us, maybe that's skillful means. But the, but the true teaching is that it's, it's not apart. It's, 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 it's us. So um, this short poem, I was passionate, filled with longing. I searched far and wide, but the day the truthful one found me, I was at home. That's a Coleman Barks translation. I'm going to read it one more time because it's short. I was passionate, filled with longing. I searched far and wide. But the day the truthful one found me, I was at home. How much she says with so few words. You might reflect on where you find yourself, in relation to this seeking far and wide, in relation to being passionate and filled with longing. We have to search far and wide. In a sense, you know, her her own journey of of, of leaving home mirrors so many spiritual searches, right? Sure, like the Buddha should come immediately to our minds, I would guess. Um, Monastics are referred to as home leavers in our tradition. Leaving home. All of you to be here for this weekend. There's a very real, like, leaving home. In the... um, in the verse that the monastics chant before we shave our heads, there's a line of, about, um, in the drifting, wandering world, it is very difficult to cut off our human ties. Now we cast them away and enter true activity. I remember when I first started to... Um, chant that gatha, that cutting off the human ties part felt sort of like harsh, and I wasn't so sure about it. It felt a little cold. Um, But I have a really different relationship to it now, and I expect that will continue to unfold, where I can feel like all of the things that um, we're we're hooked by and sort of like glom onto in worldly life and how we have to rescind those. We have to disentangle. We have to do a certain amount of renegotiating our relationship, even if we're not literally leaving home, right? We have to make different priorities. I mean, think about in your own life what it took for you to come here, whether it's for the weekend or for, for a month or a lifetime. <laughs> It's like a very counter-cultural move. So in that sense, it's a cutting off of those human ties, the samsaric human ties. So we have to leave home, and then, ironically, the whole path, the whole path is actually learning how to return home how to discover the real home, the home that you're never apart from. Whether it's a moment of struggle or a moment of bliss, it's home, it's home. And that, that word home and the image home, the metaphor of home is so um, rich, right? It implies something so familiar, where maybe a place where we can be at ease, if it's a true home, right? If it's a true home, there's a sort of like, ah, we're in our element. So in this place, we encounter the one she calls the truthful one. Your real... Nature that um, it's always there it's always with us is is woven through Buddhist teachings um, the Lotus Sutra has that parable that's uh, comes quickly to mind of the um, the the two friends who are having a, an evening of um, festivity, and um, uh, the one friend passes out from drinking? Is that really how it goes? <laughs> or did I make that up? That's so embarrassing if I made that up. But, um, or falls asleep? Anyway, one friend falls asleep, and the other friend is still with it and awake. And the other friend sews into... Um uh their friend's robe a a jewel, a priceless jewel, and um, upon waking, she has no idea, and she departs and heads on her way, and um you know uh, eventually discovers that like she had riches at her her fingertips um, same 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 message, same message so um You know, our our natural home appears to have been disrupted. That's the illusion. So we have to put it back or find our way back or get back to it. But the teaching is it's it's not disrupted. It's whole, it's intact here and now. That's the uh, finding your way. And so there's a way in which all of this is put in place so that you can come and sit down and do nothing in the deepest, most complete way. When we think do nothing, we'll have an idea of what that means. And um, the actual practice of doing nothing is very awake. We have to really be uh, completely present and very attuned to ourself and really familiar with all of our patterns and habits of doing. Because we're already perfect and complete, we're not trying to create or make or fix or improve. So all of those tendencies which we have um, and which, you know, in some of us have been um, hard won, well, you know, developed at 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 um, developed over a lifetime and, and refined, all of those tendencies actually can get in our way. So that can be the big, um, or one of, one of the big frustrations, is that uh, we're used to accomplishing things through effort, through approaching them in a certain way, and then in this practice, actually we have to um, let that go and put that down and trust non-doing and not know what non-doing is but go in, alert, awake. It is a um, kind of a discipline. It's a kind of a discipline, but it takes a a gentle touch, in my experience, um, and a precision, a willingness to be really honest with ourselves and to see ourselves and our habits and tendencies clearly. And um, trust the teachings. Because we're going to be traveling into territory which is completely unfamiliar to our doing, advancing, selfing, being. So it can be... Unsettling, unnerving, scary. And all the way along, we're going to encounter all of our ways of doing. And that, that's not always so pretty. (laughs) We start to see, like, oh wow, there's a lot of grasping. There's a lot of like advancing the self, you know, there's a lot of, um, uh, well, I mean, we just put ourselves at the center of everything and, um, sometimes in really, um, in ways that really, uh, ignore or, or don't honor others. Sometimes in ways that ignore or don't honor ourselves. Right? We can put ourselves at the center and then lay a trip on ourselves about how we're not good enough. And that's just another kink and twist in our like ego creation, our self-creation. So when we see all of the doing, all of the ways that we make ourselves those different shades and forms of greed, anger, and ignorance, um, it's like, how do we actually meet that? Right. Even when we sit down and and what we're encountering is is a busy mind that's quite um, filled with activity and and maybe difficult to even sort of get a handle on what's going on. How do we encounter that? We're already practicing. We're already training ourselves in that moment. Right. We don't need to wait for a future moment that we imagine where things are more pristine and our mind is more settled and like now we're going to get to the real work. At every moment, at every moment, it's the real work. And so much of it uh, has to do with how we're relating to ourselves. Our relationship to ourself is the original relationship. Everything is coming from that, whether we see it or not. And that's why it's so important how we relate to our own mind, and our own thoughts and our own feelings. We do not have to get rid of or be aggressive or tear anything out. You know why? Because fundamentally it doesn't exist. So it's folly when we approach our own mind, our own clashes, our own afflictive emotions in that way. And you're the one who gets to see that that's true. It's not about uh, a philosophical belief or taking in a teaching and, and, and buying into it. You You see You see for yourself how that's true. When we sit down and we see all the activity of our mind, do you ever have those moments where you're just like, whoa, like, what's happening? (laughs) Like, here I am in the Zendo with all these people, and there's like a whole situation. Where is it? It's so real. That's the amazing capacity of our mind. So on the one hand, it does exist. It's so real. We think of that person and we're filled with fear or anger and our, 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 our body actually responds in that way. That's like a very real response. And at the same time, they're not even here. That exchange that we're thinking of that's precipitating that response is like years in the past or hasn't ever happened. We're just imagining it. So it's not real. This is why... um, Buddhism is talked about as the middle way. There's a lot of different ways of understanding that. But fundamentally, it's, it's the middle way between non-existence. All things are empty of any fixed phenomena, of any fixed selfhood. All phenomena are empty of any fixed selfhood. They don't exist, fundamentally. But here we're having this experience. We have memories. We have thoughts and feelings. It's happening. It's not deniable. Here we all are. So it does exist. The middle way. Both things are true. Both things are true. They're just um, true in such a live, dynamic, interpenetrating way that... um, you can't ever fall into one side or the other and be in truth. You've got to sort of uh, live, live right on that um, sharp edge of reality. And we can learn how to do that more and more. And as we learn how to do that more and more, our experience of our life changes. One way that our experience of our life changes is that we can really soften up. If things are not so hard and fixed as they appear, maybe we don't need to be so hard and fixed around our life, our self, our relationships, the situations and difficulties that we encounter. Maybe we don't need to be so harsh in our relationship with ourself. Siknad Han says, if you pour a handful of salt into a cup of water, the water becomes undrinkable. But if you pour the salt into a river, people can continue to draw the water to cook, wash, and drink. The river is immense, and it has the capacity to receive, embrace, and transform. When our hearts are small, our understanding and compassion are limited, and we suffer. We can't accept or tolerate others and their shortcomings, and we demand that they change. But when our hearts expand, these same things don't make us suffer anymore. We have a lot of understanding and compassion and can embrace others. We accept others as they are, and then they have a chance to transform. We accept ourselves as we are, and then we have a chance to transform. This heart expanding, this is zazen, this is zazen. Things arise in our field of awareness and experience, difficult things, physical discomfort, wondering what we're doing here, feeling like we can't do it, measuring, judging ourself, or taking that same impulse and projecting it out, measuring and judging other people. All of it is painful, whatever form that measuring and judging takes, if you really look. There's discomfort there. But when we keep our seat and we're not reacting or responding to all of those impulses, which is the practice, to see them, really, and to let go, we say, to not engage, to not pursue, to become aware, and not sink your claws in, let it it move, little by little, little by little, heart expanding. That's why it's really important how we meet ourselves in our practice, so that we are actually practicing in a way that lets us soften and open that we're not coming at ourselves with control or aggression, because then that's what we're training ourselves in. And, you know, I've done that. Then you just have to work with that. There's a a few lines in a um, much longer poem by Pablo Neruda in which he says, if we were not single-minded about keeping our lives moving and for once could do nothing, perhaps a huge silence might interrupt this sadness of never understanding ourselves. That's so tender. What is this understanding? Thich Nhat Han has said understanding is love's other name. In Sishin, conditions are set up so that we are practicing this understanding in a very simple way. One one simple way is to just see where, where, do our, um, where does our sense of a problem occur, like even a subtle sense of there's a problem. That, you know, we can have our full range of uncomfortable experiences and, and see our mind in all of its, like, um, chaos or, or, or selfishness or fear um, or anger or whatever, and it doesn't have to be a problem, right? The problem comes as like another step. So like it's enough to just like acknowledge what we're experiencing, you know? Oh, I'm in so much pain. Oh my gosh, I'm so anxious. Whoa, I'm scared. I don't know what to do. We can just um, allow that. Is that a problem? Where's the problem? So there's an understanding of ourself that sort of um, can be very expansive. It's like that heart expanding. We can uh, allow our experience to come and go. Our thoughts and our feelings to self-liberate. In other words, when we don't attach, we're actively attaching, right? When something stays in our mind, we're actively doing something. It can be very hard to see that. Um, But if we can relax and just... Look and watch, and 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 be like a spacious um, field for our own awareness. Then we can start to get a feel for that, the doing part, and um, the believing part. Right when when our thoughts and feelings arise, and we believe in them, we attach to them instead to. Uh, just let ourselves have the feeling to recognize that just by being with our experience without attaching, it it, it transforms, it transmutes, it shifts. It's all just moving energy. So to slow things down, to not react out of habit, to be with what's uncomfortable, all of this breeds a kind of understanding of ourselves that's part of that heart expanding. You know, it's like I used to, I was telling somebody this earlier this week, I used to... um, There's this funny bug up here. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> wow. I saw it earlier, but I thought it was like a, a, a piece of like frayed Zabutan edge. But it's not. It's a little being. Okay, we'll just leave you right there. <laughs> um, so I used to, after every time, I mean, this still happens. So this is my story of like... <laughs> how I've become familiar with myself in this one particular way, and even though the um, habit persists, my relationship to it has changed, right? So after I would give a talk, I would be um, catapulted into several hours of profound self-doubt and um, uh, kind of habitual, uh, like, very tenacious cycling over, like, what I said that I regretted and, like, what I should have said instead. And, like, just, like, really, like, you know, when you're in one of those very dense thought loops, yeah, like, cannot get out. Just, like, had to learn to, like, withstand it because there was no other way. And at a certain point, you know, I was on to myself and saw, like, okay, um... You do this every time you give a talk, (laughs) it's always fine, it's always fine, it's not true, it's just a habit. And so I wrote myself a note that I would keep in my locker that was basically like, Dear Showan, I know you just finished a talk, here's what's going to happen next. You're going to spend several hours, several periods of zazen. Da, 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 I just would spell it out for myself. You're going to think like, "Oh, that part that I said was funny. Like people didn't laugh, and I feel so stupid." And you're just going to all of the things. I like made made my checklist, and then after I gave a talk, I would go and look at my note to myself, and then it would play out more or less, but something had been disrupted. Right. I had a sense of humor about it, too. that was helpful. And and um, eventually I didn't need the note anymore. So that's still that'll happen after I finish this talk. If you want to know what I'm practicing, I'll be practicing like self-doubt and feeling insecure to whatever degree it lessens. But it's still there. And um, but I just hold it very lightly so I don't have to get sucked down into, like, the drain of my own mind. Whatever it is about my karma, causes and conditions come together, that's what arises. It's not such a big deal. So the scary part, right? The scary part is that... um, we have to be with ourselves in ways that are unfamiliar. And sometimes the pain will opt for the pain and the discomfort over what's unfamiliar. So even in my own example, although it's a certain kind of torture to go through that kind of insecurity, it's like really familiar. I feel like myself, right? When I'm running that loop, playing that story, I like know who I am, it feels really familiar, it doesn't feel good, but there's a strange kind of twisted security there. If I didn't have that, where would I be? So we can start to see like, oh, we're invested in our own suffering. Whoa. And that's empty, too. So we can relax into that. Ultimately, our um, ability to become familiar with ourself, our ability to cultivate compassion, our practice of um, being with what is and, and making uh, a larger field for things to come and go from, we can um, practice that in a very precise way. We can practice it in a, in a soft, open way. We're always the ones in charge of our practice, right? So we have to feel what do we need We can practice that in a very soft, open way. Sometimes soft and open means actually we're like drifting and la-la land. And so it's helpful to be really precise. More disciplined. And that's really, it's like, that's when we want to practice just being with the breath. Or just being with our koan. Koan. or just being with that knot in my shoulder when we're just with that thing there's another kind of understanding there's another kind of heart opening there's another kind of coming home i want to end with this Waka, short poem by Dogen Zenji, translated by Shohaku Akamura Roshi. And I was so um, (laughs) uh, just like, oh, Dogen, really? Here it is. You ready? Another short. At that, at the very time, when my ears hear the voice as it is, everyone I talk with is my friend. At the very time when my ears hear the voice as it is, everyone I talk with is my friend. When we're not adding an overlay of meaning and story, when the voice is just the voice, the feeling is just the feeling, the breath is just the breath, we're in the realm of the truthful one. And the truthful one is our closest, most beloved friend. Thank you for listening. To find out more about ZMM's programs, retreats and residency, please visit us online at zmm.org.